This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The Super Bowl was the most watched TV event in history, with over 123 million viewers. And many eyes were watching Taylor Swift as she made the journey from Tokyo to Las Vegas in a highly scrutinized private jet flight. We have video of her plane making its final approach before touching down just after 3.30 this afternoon. After refueling, Taylor will take off for Las Vegas, where her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, will play for the Chiefs. Swifties were tracking this private flight from Japan all day, wondering whether she would be able to make it to the game in time after performing last night in Tokyo. Apparently, her game plan included her own backup quarterback, a second plane on standby in Japan, just in case. Incredibly, over 12,000 people watched the plane land live on YouTube. Last week, Swift threatened legal action against the Florida college student who's been tracking the private jets of the rich and famous. But the pop star wasn't the only one to land in the desert in her own plane. 882 private jets flew into Las Vegas over the weekend. The pandemic created a widening wealth gap where the rich became richer and their carbon footprint expanded as well. One report found the world's richest 10 percent makes up for about half of all CO2 emissions. So just how unequal is the climate footprint of the wealthiest people? Is it fair to call out individuals, even billionaires, for their personal carbon-heavy lifestyle? I'm WAMU's Esther Chamakili in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. We'll be back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Carvana, on a mission to make car buying more convenient and affordable than ever before. In minutes, you can browse thousands of options under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today to get started. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Let's meet our guests. Jenny Stevens is a climate justice fellow at Harvard Radcliffe University and professor of sustainability science and policy at Northeastern University. She's also the author of Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy. 
Also with us is Dario Kenner, the author of Carbon Inequality, The Role of the Richest in Climate Change, and a visiting research fellow at the University of Sussex. And Kimberly Nicholas, she's the author of Under the Sky We Make, How to Be Human in a Warming World. She's also an associate professor of sustainability science at Lund University, and she writes the Substack newsletter, We Can Fix It, about high-impact climate actions. Thank you all for joining us. Taylor Swift traveled over 19,000 miles to make the Super Bowl, which, according to one estimate, would create about 14 times as much carbon dioxide emissions as the average American household emits in a year. The jet setter lands in Australia today. Professor Stevens, let's start with you. What do you make of the attention Swift is getting for her private jet use? Yes, thanks. So I think this is an issue of climate justice as well as economic justice. And those are intricately linked, as we're going to talk about today. And it really resonates with, with people because there's um, it's an issue of fairness. You know, not only are the rich and powerful less vulnerable than the rest of us to the devastating impacts of climate chaos that are getting worse and worse, But the rich and powerful are also contributing disproportionately and making things worse for everyone else. And so that's a climate justice issue. But I think it's also connected to economic justice and our public policies favoring the rich and powerful. So we're actually subsidizing and encouraging the creation of more billionaires, while most people in the United States and around the world, are actually getting worse and worse off economically. So these disparities and inequities are getting more acute, and people are recognizing that it's problematic. And so there's a growing global climate justice movement that is... um, you know, really ad- trying to address together both the economic injustices and climate justice issues. We got an email from Don in Michigan who said, I see hypocrisy as gas-powered lawnmowers are banned, yet private planes are not. The urgency of addressing carbon pollution is not taken seriously by anyone, including liberal Democrats. Until the general population chooses to participate in conservation, carbon will not subside. Dario, I want to bring you into the conversation. What do we know about how much the rich and powerful contribute to carbon emissions when compared to other income brackets? Uh, yeah, sure. I can I can give that a go. Um, I mean, uh, we didn't know as much uh, about maybe even five years ago, and now we know uh, a lot more. Uh, you referenced uh, some of the the stats that have uh, that have been established uh, about you know the richest people <laughs> causing more pollution, the you know, richest one percent causing more than uh, more than the carbon emissions, and the poorest sixty six percent of uh, humanity, which is start that the Oxfam came up with. Um, Oxfam have also done good research on looking at uh, something that I called the investment emissions of the richest. So um, that's pollution uh, connected to to their investments and, you know, could be a range of companies, but the most obvious ones would be, you know, oil, coal, gas, that kind of thing. Um, and what was interesting in, in, in that study that Oxfam did is that uh, they basically said that the, um, you know, those those emissions connected to investments are actually going to be, that's probably 50 to 70% of a rich person's investments, sorry, a rich person's um, emissions. Uh, and that's just so much bigger than an ordinary person who probably doesn't even have those investments in the first place. So yeah, the richest uh, can pollute in kind of multiple ways. 
um, whether that's the luxury consumption or through their investments. Um, but I'm hoping we'll also get, a, get to talk about their political influence. Um, so, yeah, we can maybe get onto that, but I'm not sure what point you want to get into that. But that that's the thing that I would love to talk about. Well, you coined the term polluter elite. What does this refer to? Well, so uh, I get asked this kind of a lot, kind of what, what's the point of this of this kind of concept? What's, you know, what's the idea behind it? And basically, up until a few years ago, um, if we were talking about climate change, uh, it seemed like uh, this kind of impossible issue that needs that, you know, very hard to deal with, with these big faceless corporations, particularly fossil fuel industry. Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you tackle such a such a big issue? It's systemic, it's global. And I thought, well, actually, let's maybe break this down a little bit. So they still have the big corporations, particularly the fossil fuel industry, big agribusiness, big car makers. But let's also give a face to this and let's look at who's actually making those decisions. So that's why I created the, the concept of the, of the polluter elite. And there are several components, there are several things that need to happen for you to be a member of that polluter elite. You probably are flying around in private jets. You probably are own a luxury yacht. Um, but you also have huge investments in, say, fossil fuel companies. You might even be the CEO of an oil company or another type of decision maker in the kind of corporate world where you're making decisions which lead to massive amounts of pollution. And there's another part of all of this is that if your wealth is derived from polluting activity, you're probably also uh, spending your own money, you're investing it in political donations to political parties. It's particularly the case in the United States, huge amounts of money. Uh, you might be also lobbying in a personal capacity or deciding on lobbying by your own company. And basically what this leads to is uh, you get richer. So it's not that people want to pollute, it's just certain companies, uh, certain industries, they do have pollution connected to their activities. And uh, the people who make money from that basically want that to continue. Professor Stevens, uh, Dario mentioned super yachts on top of private jets, but let's stick with private jets for a moment. Briefly, tell us how significant are private jets to global carbon emissions? Yeah, so aviation is responsible for close to 5% of the warming total. Um, so it's a big piece. And... Um, and this includes CO2 emissions as well as other pollutants that come when we burn fossil fuels for in flying. So um, I did want to acknowledge that Taylor Swift is concerned about the climate crisis, and she does care. She has bought carbon offsets in, a, in an attempt to compensate for her contributions. Um, but offsets are not well regulated, and a lot of research shows that a lot of it is kind of a, a scam. So that, that is clearly not enough. Um, but when we think about aviation as, in a, as, as a whole, it can be broken down to both private jets, uh, commercial flying, and also military flights. Um, we don't often think about military flights, but right now there's a huge spike in uh, emissions from military flights, um, particularly with Israel's war in Gaza and U.S. cargo planes flying military supplies to Israel. All right, we're going to head to a quick break. But when we return, we'll take a closer look at what the rise of income inequality means for climate change. Back with more in a moment. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. 
We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org. Let's get back to the conversation with these messages we got from some of you. I think it's really irresponsible of journalists to ask us and do stories about our individual carbon footprint. Each of us as individuals does not really have the power to make a significant impact, especially not the significant impact that averting environmental catastrophe calls for. What is needed is systemic change at the industrial level. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I'm a pretty solidly middle-class guy with some pretty rich friends. So yes, I have flown on private airplanes several times, and 10 out of 10 would recommend and do it again. It is a great way to travel. If I had the means and the opportunity, I would own my own private jet, for sure. Um, It's not Taylor causing global warming. It's big oil. Private jets should be illegal. There is no excuse for any private individual in this day and age with what's happening to our environment. There's no excuse for anybody to have to get somewhere in that degree of speed and in that degree of comfort. It's exclusively a luxury, and the cost is borne by all of us. Now, private jet travel reached record levels in 2022. One report from the environmental group Greenpeace found that business is still booming. European private jet travel reached its own record last year. Dario, do elite polluters even come close to the harm done by big corporations? Okay, well, uh, in some ways, uh, they are the same things, but it's often um, very rich people who are running those corporations and making those decisions. Uh, But I suppose the kind of example to to illustrate the difference between, say, kind of an individual and their luxury lifestyle and the decisions they make having massive implications are, uh, you could have a very rich person uh, driving an EV and they've insulated their home and they've got a heat pump and all of that. But when they get to work, they could be running a coal company, which is you know, causing massive deforestation and the burning of that coal leading to huge emissions. So it's really important to talk about uh, both, basically. Uh, there is often an, an overlap um, in terms of, um, how should we say it, people who don't mind uh, making money from polluting activity and quite happy to continue. But I think that, yeah, there's, there's basically a huge, a huge overlap in both of those. Professor Stevens, oil giant BP popularized the concept of a carbon footprint, which pushes the responsibility off of big companies and onto individuals. How do you think about climate responsibility, especially when some of the richest may have an outsized impact? 
From a climate justice perspective, it's very clear that we need to move away from thinking only about carbon emissions, <laughs> and we need to think more collectively and structural change and cultural change and political change to um, think about our whole economic system so that we are no longer reinforcing um, these big inequities and inequalities. So I think the fossil fuel industry and a lot of corporations want to put the blame and have us all think about our individual decisions. And our individual decisions, of course, have a contribution. Um, but I think we don't give enough uh, attention to the larger structural change that needs to happen. And by focusing just on individuals, even if individuals, um, you know, do as much as they can, it's never going to be enough. We actually need bigger transformative change. And we've been, you know, I've been working on the climate crisis for 30 years. And We've been trying to push policies and they've been completely ineffective and inefficient because the inadequate, because the fossil fuel companies have no plans to stop. So I think it is correct that we don't want to focus too much on individual action because um, a lot of us are trying the best we can, but we actually don't have that many alternatives, right? So we're kind of stuck and... Um, and the fossil fuel industry has, and other corporation, corporate interests have been strategically investing to delay and deny climate change, climate action, climate policies, alternatives, um, and promoting and the subsidization of fossil fuels, and which has encouraged all this exp explosion of private jets and flying um, into our culture. And that is what we actually need to address. So I think we need to get the corporate power and corporate interests um, downgraded and we need to prioritize what people need. And the climate crisis is so bad and so many people are already suffering and it's getting worse and worse every day, week, month, um, that we need, we're at a point now where we really need um, big bigger changes. Um, and and so the opportunity for a famous person like Taylor Swift or other billionaires is for them to demonstrate the changes and the cultural change and the structural changes. Um, and we're, we're, so it's kind of a lost opportunity. But I, you know, I think if, if Taylor is listening, <laughs> she should, um, you know, take this opportunity, because she does care about the climate and about the environment and about people. And it's, um, you know, she could be a, a climate justice leader. If she is listening, she's likely listening on her private jet. Professor Nicholas, I want to talk to you, get into your own personal story. You had an aha moment that made you question your own climate impact. Uh, what happened? Yes, I am a former frequent flyer. So in 2010, I took 15 round trip flights, which for my circle at that time was not unusual. And I was proud of my gold frequent flyer card. Um, but I had this creeping sense of cognitive dissonance. I knew that flying was the biggest piece of my carbon footprint, like it is for pretty much anyone who gets on a plane. Flying is so climate intensive. And the fact that companies and governments absolutely have responsibilities that they're not meeting and need to be held to account. That is certainly true. And we do need these big changes to policies. 
and systems so that we can lead comfortable lives without causing climate catastrophe. And we have to get to this point of yes and, we do need to act collectively. And 90% of the world doesn't need to reduce their carbon footprint. They already have sustainable lifestyles or very close to where system change will be enough to meet their carbon budget. But the top 10% of us, which I'm certainly in, and I think most of your listeners are in, do need to look at our own footprints. That level, you know, one of your listeners said, oh, these top 10% in their private jets. That's definitely a misunderstanding. 10%, if you're if you earn more than $38,000 a year, you are in the top 10% globally. And that is most Americans. So this group who's lucky and privileged enough to have resources, especially people who fly, which is about 1% of the world's population fly regularly, not private, but just in all at all, we have to look at our own footprint. And this was kind of when the penny dropped for me. I had flown to a climate conference in 2012, and I was sitting in a room full of the world's top climate scientists. We were showing all of our data on how bad the climate crisis already was then, how much worse it was going to get what we needed to do. And I just had this feeling like, how are we going to make these changes that we know are needed to have a fast and fair transition away from fossil fuels if those of us who know the most are not leading by example? It felt like I was in a conference of doctors where we're puffing on cigarettes and telling our patients to quit smoking. We know it doesn't work. And we know that especially people in positions of leadership have a responsibility to lead by example. So I followed the example of my friend, Charlie, who had stopped flying within Europe. And that felt like a doable goal that I could um, I could adopt, and I did. So that was the last flight that I took within Europe. I haven't given up flying completely, but I have cut more than 90%. And it's made a big difference in my life. It's led to a lot of adventure and even romance. My fourth date with my now husband was a 15-hour train trip to Paris. I definitely recommend it as a early relationship test and it worked out very well. We had a our wedding tour by train across North America where we were hosted at 13 different parties by family and friends that we traveled to by train. So basically almost no one had to fly except for us. So I think when we think about cultural change, it might sound really abstract, but there are ways to have really rich and fulfilling lives for those of us who have these kind of options and do need to look at reducing our own footprints. Um, we can make it fun and make it easy and be pushing for these policy and larger social changes that make it available to everyone. Dario, how simple is it to calculate who are the biggest polluters? Uh, so it's actually quite hard. Um, I set myself this uh, question in 2015 and basically couldn't do it. So I ended up just saying the richest people pollute a lot. Um, and then got into the kind of political influence they have. Um, because uh, if we're talking about aha moments, my one was realizing that as an individual, um, I didn't really have much say over the energy system in my country or in other countries um, or the transport system. Um, and I mean, just picking up on what Kimberly was saying, you know, the reason those rail networks are there in Europe or in North America where she uh, when uh, on her on her holiday is uh, yeah you know that, that that wasn't just someone said I'd quite like to make that rail journey one day um, and then it appeared uh, you know those were decisions taken by firms supported by governments um, I've actually been looking into the the history of technological change in transport and energy and um, yeah like that that was that was how it happened um, so it wasn't just that. You know, but kind of going back in time and, and kind of it's a bit like asking 
an individual to uh, coordinate the nationwide switch in the United States from gaslighting to electricity. It was never going to be the decision of one person. Um, or, you know, you know, it's like putting the blame on, on kind of citizens for, for continuing to be using gaslighting instead of electricity. That That's clearly um, absurd. Um, I'd say that we're in a similar situation today with the thing about the carbon footprint of individuals is getting very much into a blame game, but mostly those people by themselves cannot affect that system-wide change. Jeremiah in Oklahoma emailed us and said, I don't hear any comments about Taylor saying she purchases more than enough, perhaps double carbon offsets to erase her carbon footprint. Seems like a worthy part of the discussion and explanation by your expert guests. Okay, Dario, I'll turn to you. Taylor Swift says she bought double the amount of carbon offsets needed to compensate for her era's tour travel. How does buying carbon offsets work and how effective are they? Well, there's a, a very quick answer to that. They're not they're not very effective, as Jenny explained before. Um, but but again, it's it's kind of we could talk endlessly about the choices of Taylor Swift in buying the amount of carbon offsets she bought or not. But actually, I think what's coming across from what Jenny and Kimberly are saying is for these systemic changes, we need we need to look at the systems and how they are designed and how how they are put in place. And that basically means talking about governments. And, and how they have impacted on the types of particularly energy and transport technologies that we're, that we're using. Um, and so I think that actually uh, one of your listeners uh, mentioned about the power of big oil and big oil's emissions. We need to be talking about political capture by the industries who do not want to see a shift to clean technologies. And that includes uh, the oil and gas industry, coal industry, car makers, etc., they killed the electric car in California um, back in the day, and they're trying to kill it again now. Okay, we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Still to come, solutions to the growing use of private jets and other ultra-wealthy activities straining the climate. Back with more in a moment. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. Let's get back to the conversation. The Super Bowl highlighted the growing issue of private jets as nearly 900 of them flew into Las Vegas for the game. A 2023 report by the Institute for Policy Studies found that private jets emit at least 10 times more pollutants than commercial planes per passenger. It's something many of you have thoughts about. I believe private jets should be banned entirely. There is no reason for Taylor Swift and these other billionaires to jet set around the world, dumping tons of emissions into our atmosphere, and then blaming me for using a plastic straw and hurting the environment. Uh, make them sit and coach with the rest of us, packed in like sardines. 
Dan emailed us and said, A climate justice solution in a capitalist society is to impose a very high tax on carbon use and rebate the money to every citizen on a pro-rate basis. That way, people who use little carbon will profit at the expense of the wasteful wealthy. Dario, how successful would it be to tax private jet owners in an effort to keep use low? Uh, so, yeah, that's something I thought about uh, back in kind of 2015. Um, basically, it probably wouldn't be that effective. If you're very rich then and you want to lead that lifestyle, which is basically to do with status competition with your peers, you will probably still want to fly around in a private jet or rent one. And so you'll be willing to pay uh, to cover that cost, even if it increases. So taxes really are probably not going to be that effective. But if anyone is going to have a carbon tax put on them, it should be the richest people. It should not really be on the rest of the population. And the reason is, is why punish average citizens for an energy and transport system that they didn't design? Whereas the richest people, through their lobbying, through their uh, running uh, big corporations who benefit from the status quo, which is fossil fuels, um, they did. So basically, if anyone's going to have a carbon tax be put on them, it should only be the richest for now. If in the future that system change was to happen and governments could enable those other clean alternatives, then a carbon tax could play a role on the rest of the population in encouraging the switch. But at the moment, it's just basically punishing people for a system that they didn't design. All right, let's hear from Leslie in Albuquerque. I'm disappointed to hear that 900 private jets flew in for the Super Bowl. I feel as though these details are not usually shared to the public about celebrities. And I wonder about them individually if they think about their impact because a lot of us are thinking about climate change, talking to our kids about climate change, changing our lifestyle, worrying about what car to drive and how far to go. And yet we have these images and stories of being pushed in front of us. And I think a lot of people want to emulate that, the celebrity lifestyle. And what can that bring us? So I'm disappointed. Professor Nicholas, we're in the era of celebrity and Instagram celebs posting themselves on a private jet is a regular occurrence. Do you see people m- maybe re-evaluating that idolization? Yes, we do. So I lead a research project called The Takeoff of Staying on the Ground. We've been investigating this cultural shift that has started in Sweden and is spreading worldwide to avoid and reduce flying for climate reasons. And we've seen there that in media, there's been a shift of how flying is represented and the rise of, um, well, we can see three phases. First, this idea of aspirational luxury, flying as this, you know, magical new form of transportation that became available to the masses in the 1950s and onward. Then we see this shift to cheap flights, charter flights in the 90s. That's the era of hypermobility, the idea that we could be anywhere all the time as fast as, as, as we want. And now we've entered this phase of staying on the ground where there's still hypermobility present, but it's being contested by staying on the ground. And that kind of reimagines Instead of, for example, thinking about flying as saving time, time is represented as the urgency of taking action to tackle the climate crisis. So basically, we know that role models are really important, and they're one of what I call our five climate superpowers. Of course, celebrities like Taylor Swift with a huge platform are really effective role models and play a big role there. But we might not realize how big of a role we play on those around us. We know that do as I say and not as I do doesn't work. 
And people are more likely to take climate action when they see others around them taking action. As one of your callers said, you know, when we don't see people responding, it doesn't feel serious. But we do have these five climate superpowers as citizens, investors, professionals, consumers, and role models. And those are the bridge from individual to collective action. That is how we can most efficiently and effectively invest our time and help work for this system change to make this fast and fair transition away from fossil fuels to a safe, stable, prosperous future. Uh, Let's go to a question uh, from Becky. You know, when all the planes had stopped uh, for COVID, I was wondering if the weather had gotten better because I know a lot of the air had cleaned up for not having the jets in the air. During the pandemic, when many people stayed at home, there were jokes about how nature healed because humans weren't out and about doing harm to the environment. Professor Stevens, what did we learn about air travel during this time? Well, during the pandemic, as as everyone knows, like air travel kind of came to a halt almost. I mean, there were some flights, but it was big uh, decline. And we can see in the estimations of carbon emissions or you know went down a lot because of that halting of of travel and flights um and so we we really saw that it you know that that it it, it can make a big difference and there's a lot of um change and recovery and 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 in fact um when you look at the overall uh, carbon emission graph over time, there's this blip of the pandemic there. Um, but as I mentioned before, we are overall going, still going, you know, flying came back after the pandemic and we're, and, and then this explosion of private jets just in the past couple of years has gotten more intense and more popular uh, just since the pandemic. Um, and so um, we're, we're really, uh, as I said, kind of going in the wrong direction with aviation um, in in many respects. And I, I also want to point out a part, we talked a little bit about taxes, and I think taxing billionaires, not just for carbon emissions, but just overall is, is a very important economic justice issue that I think has to be part of our um, our discussion here. And getting thinking about private jets in particular, it's our tax dollars that is providing the airports, the air traffic control, the FAA, and with the with the rise in private jets, um, those uh, people who are using them aren't paying more um, for all of that aviation infrastructure. Um, so, so they, so there definitely is a very direct um, expense that the rest of us are. Uh, that's a burden for the rest of us that they're not contributing to. So I, I, I think there's definitely something, uh, a big need here for um, increased taxes on and 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 abolition or or um, you know all kinds of restrictions for um, aviation and and private jets in particular. David wrote us an email and said all the attention paid to the jet setters is a feel-good distraction that allows us to evade the responsibility for demanding meaningful structural change. Dario, what other solutions could work to address the polluter elite? Uh, so that's a great question. Um, and this is something I've been wanting to say uh, during the show, and I'm, I'll bring it up now. So the, the, the polluter elite are optional. As uh, as Jenny just said, 
um, the taxes can be placed on the richest people, that would reduce inequality. So the richest people do not have to have that much money. That is a political choice by governments that could be changed. Taxes were much higher on the richest in the United States and other countries in the First World War, Second World War in the 1970s. So that that's completely optional. That could be changed. In terms of the level of, uh, you know, deriving wealth from pollution, um, and, and, and so that is the pollution elite. Again, we have the clean technologies. Uh, they could be enabled uh, by governments and the private sector to greatly replace uh, polluting technology. So again, the pollution elite are, are kind of optional. Then it's not fixed. It's not inevitable. But there's something I just wanted to kind of pick up on. We've been talking a lot about Taylor Swift's private jet um, use and, and, and others and talking about individuals. There is a choice that the richest people have. Um, they need to choose, are they on the side of the fossil fuel corporations and their allies, or are they on the side of the clean technologies? And the reason I say this is because what we're going through now is actually a repetition of previous conflicts between technologies throughout history. And I'll give you the example of the gaslighting companies who use bribery, uh, and every political trick and every kind of method to try and stop the rise of electricity in the United States and other countries. They were defeated. They, they, were, they didn't win. We, we have electricity today. We've had it for a long time. But the richest people on both sides, they were pushing to keep the gaslighting or they were pushing for electricity. And someone as famous as uh, John Pierpoint Morgan, J.P. Morgan, he was backing Thomas Edison in 1880 when he wanted to get his first concession uh, to run electricity in, in New York. And that helped Thomas Edison get his concession because before that, the gaslighting companies had successfully stopped him getting that, that, that concession. And the point is, is, the same thing is happening today. People like Taylor Swift, they can come out and publicly say, I'm on the side of clean technologies. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to invest a lot because I have a lot of money. And I'm also going to use my political influence, however you define that for her. But for other richest people, they have, you know, political donations. I'm not sure if she does. But the point is, is the richest people have a choice. Are you on the side of fossil fuels or of clean technologies? And you need to make that choice. You can't just sit on the fence. You can't just be, you know, benefiting from both. We're at, and and, and, and by, by making that choice, they can contribute to putting pressure on governments who can then enable those systemic wide changes like a national EV charging network or an electricity grid which is running on more solar and wind energy. It's only governments that can really make those decisions and they respond to pressure. And the richest people can make a contribution uh, for the side of clean technologies and ultimately dealing with climate change. Professor Nicholas, I want to give you the last word. You will be releasing a guide soon about personal climate action. What can you tell us about that and where can people look for it? Yeah, so I'm trying to meet people where they are and make it easy and effective to take high impact, meaningful climate action across our five superpowers as citizens, investors, professionals, consumers and role models. Uh, it's a short choose your own adventure that guides you to the most effective action that you personally can take. That's Kimberly Nicholas. She's the author of Under the Sky We Make, How to Be Human in a Warming World. She's also an associate professor of sustainability science at Lund University, and she writes the Substack newsletter, We Can Fix It. Also with us was Jenny Stevens. She's a climate justice fellow at Harvard Radcliffe Institute and professor of sustainability science and policy at Northeastern University. She's also the author of Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy. And Dario Kenner is the author of Carbon Inequality and a visiting research fellow at the University of Sussex. 
Thanks to you all for your time today. And if you haven't heard yet, we just launched 1A+. When you join 1A+, you get to listen to our show sponsor-free. And you're supporting our work. Go to plus.npr.org slash the1a to find out more. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm WAMU's Esther Chamakili in for Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.